0: She's volunteering for the Democratic Party, and she goes to a tea held by Eleanor Roosevelt. At the time, Anna was just starting her uh, public relations and labor relations office. She tells Eleanor Roosevelt about this, and Eleanor says, "Uh, I think my husband might be able to use your help. He's running for governor of New York State.
1: An excerpt from today's guest, who's written a new biography of one of the most influential women of the 20th century, who almost no one has heard of. From Boston, author Christopher Gorham is here, and I'll speak with him right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Port of the Spirit. His book is called The Confident, the untold story of the woman who helped win World War II and shape modern America. And author Christopher Gorham joins us now. Chris, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. It's our honor, sir. Now, this is a woman that, and I pride myself on knowing history, but I think this is a woman, Anna Rosenberg, that I don't think a lot of Americans know about, but she seemed to be one of the most influential women in the 20th century. Can you fill us in on her background?
0: Sure, absolutely. She, I'll start off by saying she, she was a famous woman in the 40s and 1950s. She was on the cover of magazines and in life and in time and, uh, I mean, in Der Spiegel and magazines in Europe and newspapers. And her story, for reasons that I talk about in the book, has become obscured. Um, But for those decade, decade and a half, she was quite a well-known woman. Uh, She was, you know, appearing next to uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and Francis Perkins on, you know, smartest women list and that type of thing. Um, Her background goes all the way back to, sort of the, the origin story uh, for so many Americans. She was an immigrant as a girl uh, from Hungary and her family arrived at Ellis Island and then you know, made a new life in, in New York. At This is the, the years right before World War I. She mm-hmm. was uh, about nine or 10 when she came over, uh, she and her sister and parents. And her father worked in the, the needle trades and then eventually opened his own company. And the family, you know, put down stakes in New York. And um, she was extremely energetic, uh, patriotic. Her father, who had been sort of kicked out of the Austro-Hungarian em- Empire, really took to being an American and what that meant, you know, voting and, and jury duty. And, uh, you know, the Americanization that he underwent really, really, really took to him. And he passed that on to his daughter, Anna. So Anna is very, very patriotic, very pro-America, uh, uh, you know, and she gets into politics pretty early on, and um, you know, both has an interest in 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 politics and an interest in uh, you know making her own life and and making her own career in, in the United States. So that's the the background.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, in her political life. Um, tell us how she encountered uh, and met uh, Eleanor and Franklin Roosevelt.
0: Sure. She, even as a teenager, 18, 19, she was interested in the, the suffrage movement, Anna was, and right at sort of the cusp of that's about to happen. It's right you know, right there in like 1918, 1919, 1920. And she saw some of the first women, political leaders in Bell Moskowitz. She knew Bell Moskowitz, who was the advisor of New York Governor Al Smith. She'd seen some of the the first women uh, politicians who were working for Tammany Hall or Tammany Hall folks. And this kind of spurred her on even more to engage with democracy in America and become more interested in politics. So in 1928, as a, uh, you know, she's about 26 years old, She's volunteering for the Democratic Party and she goes to a tea held by, uh, at, a, at a New York hotel held by Eleanor Roosevelt, meets Eleanor Roosevelt. At the time, Anna was just starting her uh, public relations and labor relations office. She tells Eleanor Roosevelt about this, and Eleanor says, uh, I think my husband might be able to use your help. He's running for governor of New York State.
1: Yeah, and that set everything in motion. And she ended up becoming an advisor to FDR and she had many firsts as a woman in World War II. Tell us about that.
0: Absolutely. So the, the Roosevelt connection after she met Franklin and worked uh, on his team for the New York governor's race, then he goes to Washington and it's the new deal. And he, he, Anna had, Two roles with the New Deal, one with the NIRA, which ultimately was struck down uh, by the uh, Supreme Court. But she was an executive; she was the director of the the NIRA program in New York in New York City, which is, you know, obviously the the most busiest uh, and and biggest economy at the time. So it was a it was a huge responsibility for her. After the Supreme Court struck that down, she was made the uh, regional director for New York State of the social security program, which was a new program, a a transformative program at the time. And this is 36, 37. And she signed up, she and her team signed up 6 million New Yorkers to the social security program. And uh, there's one story where a woman says, I don't want to give my true age because my husband doesn't know it. And she said, Uncle Sam and I will keep your secrets. (laughs) So she had a, the Roosevelt connection went all the way through the new deal and uh to the very you know to the very precipice of, of world war ii too where she played a, a number of roles both domestically and overseas
1: i hope you're enjoying this episode tomorrow we wrap up the podcast with one of the most successful military thriller writers out there best-selling author mark Greeny will be here to discuss the latest novel in his gray man series burner
2: you know when i started writing this book a year ago the war had just begun in ukraine and this book, it th- isn't about the war in Ukraine, but it obviously is very much uh, related in the things that happen. So I remember being, you know, you know, I have to prognosticate where we're going to be right. next year when this book comes out. So I did daily research on on those sorts of things to try and figure out where I thought, you know, the world would be a year from now.
1: That's tomorrow on Porn of the Spear. Tell us about those, some of the events during World War II that she was involved with.
0: Yes. Yeah, so she had a this long, at this point, pretty good track record of succeeding whatever she was tasked with by Franklin Roosevelt. So in the months leading up to Pearl Harbor, in the summer of 1941, it's pretty apparent that the United States is going to have to get into this war. Uh, obviously, we don't know when, we don't know where, but the de- defense contractors are starting to crank up. The government is placing these contracts. These are good-paying jobs for thousands and thousands of Americans, but Black Americans are being shut out of these jobs.
1: Mm.
0: So Franklin Roosevelt is faced with a conundrum. He has Black leaders A. Philip Randolph and Walter White of the NAACP telling him that there's going to be a march on Washington in uh, July 4th, 1941, if he won't mandate that the defense industries hire Black Americans and give... An opportunity for these good paying jobs. This is potentially a huge black eye for Roosevelt because right at the moment where the United States needs to show unity, uh, it's potentially going to be uh you know an episode of violence. Washington mm-hmm. is still a very southern town at this time, and a march of black Americans could be very uh, a very dangerous uh thing if if the uh, the police force and the the marchers get together. So Roosevelt's worried about this. He calls in Anna Rosenberg. And together with Eleanor Roosevelt, mayor of New York, Fiorello LaGuardia, they deal with the uh, uh, and the black leaders that I mentioned, Randolph and Walter White. They draft up an executive order that mandates that that black Americans are treated fairly in defense industries. And Anna Rosenberg cajoles the president to sign this. This was something that he did not do uh, really uh, voluntarily. He had to be persuaded that this was the right thing to do. He knew it was going to cost him politically. But he also wanted the backing of the the Black community uh, as we go into World War II. So that was one of the huge things that she did domestically.
1: Moving ahead past World War II, she rose in uh, responsibilities and and duties. And in 1950, she was tapped to become the Assistant Secretary of Defense, which is amazing, and the highest position uh, at that time held by a woman in the U.S. military. But this promotion, pending promotion, caused some problems. How did she uh, handle that?
0: It sure did. The pivot from New Deal to Assistant Secretary of Defense really was because she had encountered and worked with General George C. Marshall during World War II. There were a lot of men who were needed for the defense industries. They were machinists, they were engineers, they were they were necessary to fulfilling these contracts. And what was happening is a lot of these guys were being plucked by the army and the Navy to be a private or an ensign in the Navy. So Anna Rosenberg, who had a history of dealing with personnel issues, had a a sit down with general Marshall and they sorted out, well, you know, these are the people that industry really needs to stay in the United States. And these other fellows, they can certainly join up and and go overseas and, and do the fighting and after World War II, after Marshall had retired and then been called back as assist, as assist as Secretary of Defense during the desperate days of the Korean War, he remembered her all the way back to World War II and called upon her to help rebuild the, the United States Army, which had been decimated by budget cuts uh, in, the, in the years after World War II. Mm. And you know, we had to occupy West Germany, we had to occupy Japan. The United States had to fight the Cold War, and now a hot war in Korea. And so he handwrote a letter to Anna saying, urging her to come out of retirement, come down to Washington, and serve at the Pentagon as his number two. And being the patriot that she was, she did it.
1: But she encountered uh, political pushback during the time of McCarthy. Tell us about that.
0: That's absolutely right. Despite Marshall and President Truman's attempts to sort of slide her into that position quietly because they knew there was going to be blowback it was picked up by a right-wing radio star named Fulton Lewis. And immediately uh, Senator Joe McCarthy got on the bandwagon and Fulton Lewis and Joe McCarthy put together a a group of uh, people and they tried to dig up information that would smear Anna Rosenberg's name. And uh, I I won't say too much more about that, the details of that because it's in the book, but there was a, a major smear campaign that delayed her entrance to the Pentagon Um, and a lot of women, their careers were ended prematurely at this time, 1950, 51 by Joe McCarthy, but Anna Rosenberg wouldn't let that happen. Oh,
1: that's great. Now, how did she wrap up her career in government?
0: Her three years at the Pentagon were successful. She raised the size of the army to the level that George Marshall wanted it. Uh, She, integrated if you can believe it she integrated the schools on the army bases before uh th- this is you know pursuant to uh, Truman's mandate that they be integrated but there was so much foot dragging you know and they just weren't listening to that Anna got those schools on the bases integrated uh before the 1954 brown versus board of education so for a brief moment the armed forces which is very conservative or can be very conservative as you know uh, was integrated before the nation at large. After the, yeah. oh, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, the, the the military were the leaders, actually, in yeah. pushing the country forward towards uh, equality.
0: Absolutely. She, Anna, spoke to General Marshall about this and found him to be open to integrating these bases um, and really kind of let her handle that aspect of it, which she did very adroitly and, and got buy-in when she could and when she didn't get buy-in, she kind of uh, used the stick a little bit and said, well, the federal government uh, is paying these, these. you know, this is a federal government installation. You have, you have to follow along with what the federal government wants you to do. So <clears throat> she was able to get the recalcitrant folks uh, on the right
1: side. Well, she sounds like an amazing woman. And for people to learn more about her, they'll have to buy your book. But what are you uh, working on right now? Do you have a new project?
0: I do. I I do. Uh I, I'm going to be a little canny about it if you don't mind. Okay, sure. Uh, I it I, I'll say that it's it's about someone unlike Anna Rosenberg who is very well known. Um although I will say that the sort of slice of of this person's career is is not very well understood. So I'm looking forward to having fun with that um in the same way that this was such a gratifying project for me uh, with Anna Rosenberg.
1: Very cryptic. Very cryptic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my agent, my agent, doesn't know yet either, so I have to, I have to hold the cards close to the vest for for a bit here.
1: Understood, understood. But your current book is called "The Confidant: The Untold Story of the Woman Who Helped Win World War II and Shape Modern America." Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Rob, thank you very much, and thanks to your listeners too.
1: That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Tomorrow, we wrap up the podcast with one of the most successful military thriller writers out there. Best-selling author Mark Greeney will be here to discuss his latest novel in the Gray Man series, Burner.
2: You know, when I started writing this book a year ago, the war had just begun in Ukraine. And this book isn't about the war in Ukraine, but it obviously is very much... uh, related in the things that happen so I remember being you know you have to prognosticate where we're going to be next year when this book comes out so I did daily research on on those sorts of things to try and figure out where I thought you know the world would be a year from now
1: that's tomorrow on point of the spear and if you like what you hear leave a review or rating or just click the follow button and be sure to check out our point of the spear youtube channel with bonus video material plus full military history documentaries. There's tons to explore, and I hope you check it out. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spear. Music licensed from Audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.